I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. This is Play Me, Canada's national digital theatre. Each week, we take some of the hottest plays and transform them into contemporary audio dramas. I'm Laura Mullen. And I'm Chris Tolley. Welcome back to Play Me. Today's episode is the third installment of a new miniseries called Play Me Mono, which is produced in collaboration with the Playwrights Guild of Canada. Over the past several months, we've been hosting some conversations with some of Canada's most celebrated playwrights, recording a monologue they've written and sitting down in front of a live audience to dive deeply into their writing process. This episode features a monologue by Keith Barker from his play, This Is How We Got Here. This piece is about a close-knit family as they deal with the suicide of their son and relearn how to deal with one another with forgiveness, humor, and love. Keith talks about his play, the monologue, and his writing process in general. Intercut throughout the interview, you'll hear snippets of the monologue, and at the end, you'll hear the monologue in full. Here is Keith Barker, recorded live at the Aki Studio in Toronto, Canada. alone for God's sake you're not helping this is not helping it's not helping her and it's definitely not helping me oh, you are a piece of work I tell you go on get out of here I said get out of here Uh, This is How We Got Here is a play it's a family dynamic there's four family members that we follow um, the, a mother a father an aunt and an uncle, and they're all very close, very close-knit family. And, of course, the son who has um, taken his life. But we never see the son in the play. We only hear him in the last... There's a two-minute monologue at the very end of the play, and we just hear his voice. So, And it's, it's the aftermath of, of what happens when someone takes their life and how it affects family, how it affects friendships, um, relationships with your sibling, a relationship with your husband or your wife. So on all different levels, everyone is affected and, and everyone deals with trauma differently and tragedy. So you're watching each of these four people trying to come to terms with what has happened and move through it. are so lucky I can't get my hands on you right now. If I could, I would grab you and I would shake, 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 shake until there's nothing left of you. And just because I'm yelling at you doesn't mean I think you are who she says you are because you're not. The 
reason I said it a year after the suicide is um, I really wanted to explore the ripple effect of something that has happened like that. Um, my aunt and uncle, they're my godparents, but I call them my aunt and uncle because we're, you know, I was like 11 when I realized we weren't actually related by blood. And my cousins, who were closer than, to me than my sisters, um, two of my cousins committed suicide within two years of each other. And so I, I was just out of theater school, and for about five years, we would go up to Long Lac, Ontario, and spend Christmas with them. And they would keep everything out. They would keep Christmas out, and they would just... We would pretend it wasn't Christmas because Christmas is the hardest time, and we would just spend time with them through their grief. My uncle Toyomo and I would go have a sauna. We'd just sit with each other. He's not a, he's not a big talker, but you know, we just it was about sharing space and about seeing that. And so I saw a lot of the things that were happening to them as they were going through their tragedy. And and then I would just as time went on, I said I really want, I want to talk about that. What is the mourning process of people? And how do people, like, how do people move through something so tragic to the other side and, and, and are able to get out of bed every day? Because, you know, so many people had said to me about my aunt and uncle, I was like, I don't know how they get out of bed. And so that's, to me, like, that's a, that's a story. Like, how do people get out of bed and face the day every day when they've lost the thing that they love the most? Once there was a fox who lived in the forest, and he had a magical gift for storytelling. Animals would come from all around and from far away just to hear his stories. And the fox would spend all of his days making up story after story and telling them to anyone who would listen. But one day, as sometimes happens, things changed. And the fox, when asked by the badger to tell his own story, could not remember it. In fact, he could not remember any of his own stories. It seemed he had told so many stories to so many people that he had, in fact, lost his own. Using the fox in the story, um, so my Auntie Jane is, uh, is an animal rehabilitator, she was. So she'd get like, I'd come to visit her and she'd have a bear cub. She'd have a loon, she'd have a raven, she'd have a chipmunk, whatever. Someone would hit an owl on the highway and they'd call her and she'd go pick them up. And she did it all on her own money. And she, so she had built these cages and she took care of them and they, they're docile to a point. And then when they, when they're ready to go back into the world, they, she said like they become wild again. You just have to let them go and they go off. But the deal that you make when you're um, animal rehabilitators, you, she said, I never give them names because I don't want a personal attachment to them. And if they can't go back into the world, they're not pets and she would have to euthanize them. So she said, they deserve to live in the wild. Um, and she met a crow. She, she, 
she had this crow. And for a year, this crow lived with her. It took a long time for it to rehabilitate. And she would lose everything. She'd lose rings. She'd lose necklaces. She couldn't find things. And after the crow left one time, she was cleaning up on the tops of her counters, and she found all her jewelry up there. So the crow would go take it and hide it up. And this crow wouldn't leave, though. When it was time for the leave, she, she let the crow go free and, and it would go, but it would come back and it would go and it would come back. And she eventually gave, gave the crow a name, and she, she, for the first time, had an attachment to one of these animals. And the next year, she, it came back. And her dog, she knew this because the dog remembered her, remembered the crow. They had this really strange relationship. And she just told me how much... She told me how much it meant to her. This, she really felt like it was her son coming back. So that is one of the things I used. And I really love this idea that the hope, that you, you find hope in an animal. Like you, this little fox appears out of nowhere and and gives this woman hope in a moment of you know tragedy and 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 then i had the idea i was like what if it what if there has to be a connection to the fox that she thinks the fox is her son and for me it was like they wrote they read a, a storybook like as a child it was called le petit renard the little fox i was like that's it they, they used to read a book to, to, to Craig as a kid called The Little Fox, and then this fox appears and she'll draw the parallels. And then I was like, one time, when I was stuck writing in the play, one time I was like, I'm going to write the story of the fox. I, like, I need to know what this story is. And so I just, it was never meant to be in the play. It was actually more of a writing exercise. So I wrote the whole story of the fox and then somebody was like this is really great but like can you like children's stories are par de, pared down like it's you need to simplify the language and so I just kept simplifying it Sim I went through it and I spent like a month on this children's story um, and then in the end it was interesting I was like but it's actually in a play so it doesn't actually need to be a children's story like I gave myself the freedom to put it back in the play as it is and I just thought wow this is a great it's just this, also the story is like uh, then it was also the story about someone who loses their way so not only is it so there's so there's just so many different layers that we can look at is about this fox who can't find himself and doesn't recognize you know doesn't remember his own stories doesn't remember who he is and in the end he gives up he says like I, and he jumps off the edge of the earth thinking that he lost his story when in actual fact our stories sit in the people that we love and the people that we know. And we know that because after we, after we pass away, and, you, and when you've, if you've ever been to a wake or a funeral, people just talk all, you hear these great stories about the people you love. And so that was part of it. And so the fox to me started to come out and then she never went away. She was just this piece. So much so that when um, my friend Travis Murphy was designing the front cover, he's like, what do you want? I was like, I want the front picture of the play of the book and of the poster to be this little fox but I said I don't want this beautiful fox I want it to be dirty like from the rain and like it's been through a lot and is you know kind of raggedy and and so that's that's really where the fox came from and 
Now I get all kinds of presents, Fox presents. <laughs> I got a bunch of them at home now, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tilt your head, you smug little. What do you want from me? Tell me, I'll do what I will. Because there's nothing left. You've taken it all away, and now it feels like... Like I loved you too much. Because now it hurts all the time. My chest literally hurts when I breathe because I miss you so much, and it doesn't go away, and it never will, and I know it won't, and I can't do anything about it, and it makes me so mad. These four people are dealing with the most tragic thing in their lives, and yet there's lots of humor. They, they, there's, they can still find times, time to laugh and to make it through and support each other. And there's, even on the darkest day, there's still hope. There's still hope. And when it seems impossible, and you know, all four of them are at different stages of grief, and at some point, each one of them doesn't think it's worth moving forward, and yet they, it's that whole idea, I can't move on. I need to move on. I can't move on. I must move on. It's that you, you keep moving forward. And it is, I mean, it is a play about everyone. I, some people are like, I say it's a play about hope. Some people are like, it's a play about suicide. And I'm saying it's true, but it's, it's, a, it's about relationships. It's about people who love each other and how we hurt and how we forgive each other and move forward through such terrible moments. Because, you know, like, like we were saying, at Finch and Young, there are people that saw things that, you know, they are in grief counseling and families that have lost people. And it's like, how do you move forward with a random act of violence? And people do, and they find a way to do it. And through support, love, friendships. So to me, it's like there's, there's something in collective grief and also collective hope and I really wanted the play to have light, not be dark. The thing that's great about theatre is that it's different. It's just different. People are, are writing plays right now that are basically film scripts on stage. And there's a lot of people who are doing that, but there's something about a live experience theater and part of the the impact of it is live storytelling. I love to tell stories. I grew up with a family where everybody was jumping in, the louder person got to tell the best story, and that's where this comes from. For me, the Fox story, I wanted, I loved the 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 play is non-linear and I love that. It to me is a it's like a piece of glass has been shattered. Lives have been shattered, and when Lucille finally just comes to the clarity of what she needs to do to move forward, the play goes linear. Part of that is that I also wanted to bridge those together with a story. The Fox story accomplished two stories. The men looking, the men are looking for Lucille, and throughout the whole play, they keep coming back, and that's a thread that goes through. But storytelling, telling this story about a fox does it also does that it bridges it kind of sandwiches the whole play together and so you get the story keeps being told throughout the thing and i love that and i love that each character gets to tell that story and part of it is also the honoring of like 
you're an aunt or you're an uncle or a cousin. I've done it many times where you get into bed with the kids and you read them a story and it just is nothing. You think it's nothing, but it's the world to them. It's like, oh, okay, I gotta read this story, okay. Which one do you want? Oh, I love this one. I always love this one. To me, children love stories. They love being told stories. And as adults, we all know it. We've all been in a place where someone's a good storyteller at the coffee shop, at work, at a pub, anywhere. Someone who's a good story tells you a great story and you're mesmerized. When that gets transferred onto the stage, it is like, it's the best. So to me, it's just, I wanted that. I wanted some of that in my play. Well, don't just stand there. Say something, would ya? <laughs> yeah, I didn't think so. You're nothing but a fox, a stupid little fox. And I don't want you hanging around here anymore. In my play, the fox and Craig are really important to me, but I don't like to tell people what I... I, I, people ask me that question all the time. It's like, so is the fox Craig? Is it? And I do, I, live, I lived in that world for five years. I don't mind living in that world. I know those people. I know the conversations they've had. But I like to leave it to people to think of what they think because there's something magical in, or not. It's like, no, nah, no, nah, totally not. Or someone's like, totally. It's totally Craig. You know, I, say, I love that. And that's the, that's the thing I would say to all of you is that when you write something, and you put it out in the world, you just never know how people take it. That's the, the most, that's the most beautiful part about writing. If someone comes up to you and they start telling you the world, like you're like, the world that I read and the world I saw was this, 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 and this. And I go like, that's totally not what I was thinking. But they read it and I wasn't there to tell them differently. They see the world differently. And that is like, that is the gift of being a playwright is to hear what other people, how they take the play, like good and bad. Like someone's like, I thought it was crap like I thought that whatever that's totally not my uncle I was like that's not your uncle that's my uncle someone's like Lizette is too tough she's too mean like you need to do a scene where she's nicer I was like no I actually don't because that's who she is that is my aunt like you know my aunt is never that she's never a soft she's hard shell you know it's like so to me it's just like I love I love that you know people see it differently Do I want to do a comedy? Yeah, I, I, I some, my mom's like, so what's the next play? And the next play I'm writing is about, um, it's about, so I read all this stuff about journalists dying around the world, like trying to tell stories. So my next play is about a journalist who loses her life telling the story. Like they, they said that they, I read this book and it was like seven journalists from seven of the, the most dangerous countries in the world for journalists. And all of these seven journalists knew they were going to die, knew how they were going to die, and continued to be reporters. Like, kept telling the stories that they were telling, and then were killed the exact way that they were, that they had kind of said how they were going to do it to them. And and so that's the next play. And then it's not a comedy at all, but I I I did try. <laughs> I did try. I. Was, I so my, I had a partner for eight years and we were together and we had these really quirky things. And I thought, oh, I'll write a, like a couple, like how the, the world of the couple and how they go through things. 
And then I was like, oh, and then, of course, one of them's going to have to die at the end. I was like, oh, my, I, I just don't get comedy. Like, I just don't, like, so, yeah, I don't know. Thank you very much for coming, everyone. I really appreciate coming today and listening. That was episode three of Play Me Mono. This episode was edited by Gregory J. Sinclair. Visit playmepodcast.com to learn more about our shows, leave a comment, or let us know what you think of our podcast. Play Me is produced by Laura Mullen and Chris Tolley. The associate producer is Pippa Johnstone. Play Me is funded by the Canada Council for the Arts and the Ontario Arts Council. Special thanks to our partners, the Playwrights Guild of Canada, Factory Theatre, Tarragon Theatre, and the Musical Stage Company. Play Me is an Expect Theatre production. For more information, please visit playmepodcast.com. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.